Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm. Big Roz here today with Wits, but we have our favorite guest of all time and only confirmed guest that we know of on this show, Jared Rubin. Had to bring him on to talk Masters. Um, Rube, what's going on? Not much. It's good to be here as the biggest fan of the Sporting Edge in the world and now the most recurring guest on the show. It's great to be with you guys on Masters Week and I'm excited to be here. Dude, great to have you back on Masters Week, and obviously everybody knows we record on Thursday, so we got one day of action through. We're going to hear this on Saturday morning, so some things can change, but we're going to get my takes, which are pretty minimal, because I didn't get to watch much. We're going to get Roz's takes, which are which don't really matter, and then we're going to get Rube's takes, because he he's the golf guy on the show. Um, but Rubes, I, I have to give a little shout-out to myself first for a little, a little How Tong Lee. Step aside, Hideki Matsuyama. This is how Tung Lee's tournament to win. Yeah, well, we'll see about that. He did play well today. Shot three under par, so not too bad. But I don't know. It's Thursday, and mm-hmm. a guy can have one good round. So I don't imagine him being anywhere near the lead come Sunday. But hey, you can you can hope for it. So yeah, and I think my I think my favorite thing about the Masters so far nothing to do with the golf, but. When I go to cbssports.com under the Masters tab, there's a Tiger Woods tab. It goes Masters, <laughs> full coverage, Masters Live, leaderboard, Tiger Woods, then Tiger scorecard. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, it does make sense. I mean, other than me, who I will watch golf, kind of whoever's playing, I don't really care. But the average golf fan isn't really going to watch if Tiger's not in it. So they got to keep their ratings up. And people want to see Tiger, regardless if he's winning or if he's. 15 shots back they want to see his scores and see his every shot that he takes so that's what the golf coverage has to do yeah and um tiger believe finished the day plus one thursday Mm -hmm. um do you have any thoughts on his game um you know i know he was kind of a little up and down i mean plus one isn't the worst thing but you know he said he stumbled a little bit yeah he kept himself in it he didn't have his best stuff today he talked about he didn't drive the ball great he missed some putts that he probably has made in past Masters when he's contended, but like they say, you can't really win it on Thursday of the Masters, but you can definitely lose it, and he definitely didn't lose it for himself today. 
although he is a ways back at this point, he's definitely still in the tournament, and he's a couple good rounds away from being right back up there at the top. So he didn't lose it for himself today, even though he didn't have his best stuff. So that's at least a little bit encouraging going forward if he can put together a couple more, a couple good rounds the next few days. Yeah, and um, I know we've got a, a guy on the other end of the line who has a top golfer after day one right now. Roz, Jordan Spieth, great first day for you. Ended up at six under par. Um, give give us your take so far on the Masters. I know you've been a little quiet there for the past couple minutes, but what's going on? What are you thinking? What are your thoughts going forward? So they they kept me quiet. That's what they were doing. They were keeping me quiet, holding my opinions back. It is time to let in the opinions. Here was what I got for you. I am the Masters champion of the world. Not only have I won the Masters in 2014 and in 2016, I'm headed to a 2018 victory as well. Jordan Spieth at a six under the tournament so far, and that was a friendly six under. He bogeyed on 18 because he was pulling too far away from the rest of the people in the field to keep it interesting Friday through Sunday. Now, bogeying on 18 doesn't always mean he's being friendly because you're... I Tung Lee on the um, 18th hole here in the first round, he had a bogey, and I think that's going to show true to form the rest of the tournament for him. I don't really think he's going to uh, continue to excel the way he's been doing. But if we take a look at the rest of my team, I have, I have something I have to put out in the universe. I think for people who compete in this pool with me, I think Ricky Fowler will forever be my second-tier pick, even my first-tier pick, if that's where he eventually jumps up into. I just can't not pick Ricky the time he wins a major. And some may say that's ridiculous. It won't be like I'm calling it. Or I think the fact that I'm on his bandwagon makes me a firm Ricky believer and the guy that's going to call his first major. I also have guys like Wesley Bryan, who I did honestly tell Jared earlier um, I stole from him. And yeah, I that was, it was a steal. I like one. I like the name Wesley Bryan. Two, I had Kevin Chapel, who was plus six. So I kind of got lucky on the switch off there. And then, and then just because uh, for Xander's sake, I thought I would take Xander Schofield, who had a great end of last season. I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing his last name. Not, right. not even close, but per- perfect. Sheffield Schofield. I don't, I don't know. It's some, some last name that I've never heard before. And then Jimmy Walker to close it off. My team looks unstoppable. I'm more just curious if somebody can explain to me what Sergio Garcia's 13 today was. That was absolutely ridiculous. Am I wrong or am I wrong? It was, it was pretty funny to watch. I had watched it after I got home today, and he hit basically the same shot four times in a row, and it went just past the pin and spun back off the green four times in a row. And he just looked like he was in complete disbelief of what was happening, and I'm sure everyone else around him was too, but that's a quick way to um, end his defense for the title this year. It was kind of a mix between a tin cup replay and a Sergio <laughs> saying, I won the Masters last year, so I don't care anymore, and yeah. that's basically the way it is. Well, the, worst, the worst part is he's got to hang around till Sunday to give the green jacket out to whoever ends up winning this week as opposed to just getting on a flight tomorrow night now. Well, he does have a hot girlfriend, so they can they can use the hotel room from Saturday to Sunday. Yeah, but uh, he, can. he did as bad as his first round was with that hole. Played better than Harry Ellis did, who came in with a a very nice 86-14 over. Yeah, he's an, he's an amateur. you got to cut him a little slack. Yeah, I'll cut him some slack. His his back nine looked a little bit like a, like a wit scorecard, you know, a couple, couple doubles, <laughs> a few... One a lot triple, of lot of lot of boxes, not a lot of circles. Um, 
But yeah, Rube, is, we take a look at the rest of the leaderboard. Obviously, we talked about Spieth. Great story so far, I think. Tony Finau. Um, oh, yeah. Put, popping his ankle back into place during the par three contest. Comes out firing in the first round with a four under 68. Um, and as we sit here on Thursday night, tied for second right now with Matt Kuchar. Um, did you get a chance yeah. to see him play at all, Rube? I, I did a little bit. I've always been a big Tony Finau fan. He kind of he looks more like a basketball player playing golf, which is <laughs> kind of interesting to watch. Kind of wears like high top Nike shoes and he's six five and is very athletic. But yeah, I was watching the par three yesterday and he just wiped out and just casually popped his ankle back into place. And yeah, that's a manly thing to do. Behold, he goes out and shoots sixty eight today and it's two off the lead and people didn't even know if he was going to play this morning or not. It's pretty incredible to think about after seeing that gruesome looking of an injury to actually be playing, let alone being two shots off the lead. It's pretty incredible to think about. Yeah, so he's playing great. Um, we have uh, tied for a second also Matt Kuchar um, at four under. Henrik Stenson playing some really good golf. Um, not typically known for his Masters performance. I think he's played 10 or 11 years straight in the Masters and not finished in the top 10. And then we have a name that it has been at the top of the majors leaderboards for just too long now without a good finish. Charlie Hoffman at three uh, under. Mr. Mr. Thursday. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Mr. Thursday, Reggie Jackson, Mr. October, Charlie Hoffman is Mr. Thursday. And that is all we all the time we have here for Thursday right now. This is the Sporting Edge. If you miss the show, you know where to find us, libertytalk.fm. We will be back after the break with more Masters coverage. And we are back at the Sporting Edge, everybody. We were just applauding Charlie Hoffman for another incredible Thursday at a major tournament. Three under, 69. Um, <laughs> any thoughts on, on Chuck, guys, on Chuck Hoffman? Uh, I really think that if you pulled together all of his major Thursdays, he might have the best under par ever of all time, even over Jack Nicholas, even over Tiger. I'd, I'd be willing to check that out. Yeah, Charlie's just one of those guys. He just he can play on Thursday and Fridays, and then you'll expect him to fall off on Saturday morning, and it's just like clockwork. It'll be there, and I'm expecting it to happen again this week. I'm a big. I like Charlie. He's a good guy, and he's always a pretty good player. But he just never has enough to get over the edge at the end. Yeah, he's got a big romper. <laughs> me and me and Rue got to see him very up close. He's got a big romper that might slow him down in the in the later stages of the tournament. I mean. He's hauling it around the entire way. It might get tough on Saturdays and Sunday. Yeah, um, Chuck Hoffman love the swing. One of the, I think one of the more simple swings on the tour. Just kind of a grip and rip guy, in my opinion. Um, but he kind of reminds me of that that fifty to one pace horse that comes out um, first first couple furlongs and is leading the pack. And you, you put a couple bucks on him at fifty to one, and you think he might have a shot. And then um, by the end of the race, he's kind of pulling up in seventh or eighth place. Uh, but you know, looking at the the rest of the leaderboard, got Adam Hadwin, Patrick Reed, Hao Tong Lee, Rory McIlroy, and Rafael Cabrera Bale coming in at three under yeah. after the first day. And uh, I heard the name on the radio, Burn Weisberger. I I don't think that's the right way to say I think it. It's like a V. It's a Weisberger. It's yeah, it's, it's Vern Weisberger. I think name. I think the B and the W both come off as V's. That's what I heard on the radio. Yeah. But uh, he comes yeah, in at two under with ZJ, Mark Leishman, or Leishman, whatever you want to call it, Ricky, and then Phil. 
Phil with a very nice two under 70 on day one. And then VJ Singh, um, a guy who I think when I first started watching golf was near, near one of the top golfers in the world is still doing it, still kicking it. Um, and Ruba, as we kind of look at, you know, the rest of the guys in this tournament, any, anyone kind of down the leaderboard a little bit that you're looking at that you think might be able to make a run on Saturday and Sunday? Yeah, well, I think it's kind of an obvious name, but Justin Johnson hung in there at only one over par. And obviously that guy has the ability to go low with the best of them. And he didn't play very well today at all, but you can't count a guy out like that. And he's, I mean, obviously it's going to, if Spieth goes out and shoots another 65 or or 67 even tomorrow, no one's really going to catch him. So everyone below Spieth needs some help. But I think if Spieth were to falter, I think Dustin's definitely got 65 in him, whether it's a question if it'll come out or not, but he's definitely someone not to count out. And then also, of course, Tiger's right there. Bubba's right there, one over. So there's a lot of guys within striking distance of the lead that if Spieth were to falter, which could happen, or he could run away with it like he did for his first green jacket. But if he were to come back to the field at all, those would be the guys, obviously, that I would be looking at. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, got a lot of good golf left to play. And, Roz, I want to get your take. Um, anybody kind of hovering near the middle of the leaderboard right now that you think might be able to make a run? I, I It's been interesting to me. Somebody was actually scaring me because I, I don't get scared often. I'm very confident in most of my picks. But someone scaring me right now is Rory being at three under. Rory started off some of the majors last year. I know he had a decent year last year. Started off some of the majors last year not so performing so well and then having awesome, tremendous runs at the end of it. So at this point, he put himself in a pretty good position, set him up for the weekend, and I think that that makes him even more dangerous. I think if he can hover around that area, especially after tomorrow, I think he can close it. Like you used the horse example earlier, he's the 8-1 to one that's your closer. Who like You put your money on and you know it's going to be tough to watch at the beginning, but he closes strong and is going to stick that nose out there for the W. So Rory is going for the career Grand Slam, and I, I, for me personally, I am concerned with all my yeah. other golfers. I think Rory has a good opportunity this weekend. Yeah, I would be too because, in my opinion, if Rory McIlroy, if he plays his best golf, there's no one in the world that can beat him. Now, he hasn't been very consistent over the last few years, but like we saw a couple weeks ago when he shot about seven under, I think, on Sunday to win a tournament, if he's got that game going, no one's going to stop him. And he putted terribly today. And it's still three under, only three shots off the lead. So he's definitely someone that's well with him. somebody to heckle him. <laughs> Need a dilly dilly. Get a couple. And, which is <laughs> illegal at Augusta this year. <laughs> yeah, that that is pretty funny. Um, I'm kind of looking. I'm looking at Phil. You know, I think uh, coming out as one of the last groups. Well, <laughs> on the course on Thursday, um, got an early crack at it on Friday. I think Phil is a guy who can make a run at the ripe age of 47, um, and that's what I love about golf. I mean, you, you got guys from all over the spectrum, guys as young as you know, a guy like Justin Thomas, who over the past I think year and a half has been playing some of the best golf on tour, and then you got Phil, who's almost 50 years old. You got Tiger, who hasn't won. When, when's the last time Tiger's won a major? Was it? Oh wait, 2008. 10 years ago and yeah, I think I think his last Masters win was at 05 I think if I'm if I'm not yeah. mistaken yeah 2005 2005 Sean Alexander was on the Madden cover <laughs> yeah 
Yes, that was a, a very long time ago. Um, so I, I guess any any final thoughts on the Masters, gentlemen? I think I've pretty much said all I have to say. I, I was just kind of watching on on the screen the numbers. I didn't get to see much of the uh, much of the action on the course, but very exciting nonetheless. Yeah, Should be a good weekend. A lot of guys in contention. I want to give a quick shout out to Doug Gim, who is at Even Par. He is an amateur. He's actually from Buffalo Grove, so just down the street from us. So, quick shout out to Doug for hanging in there at Even Par as one of the amateurs in the field. But besides that, just excited for the weekend. Yeah, you're gonna have to get him on the show here. Yeah, and you look at Doug Gim had a, had a, a rough. A rough front nine, had a had a double and a bogey on two, but comes in shooting a, a ripe thirty three on the back nine, and even yeah, eagle hold out for eagle on eighteen. Hold out for eagle on eighteen. Um, you look at thirteen through eighteen. He was I think a combined four under, so pr- pretty good round for him, and yeah, pretty cool that he's from Buffalo Grove. Um, so I, I think. Uh, I think that's all the Masters talk we have for right I got, now. I got one more Masters thing. One more, one more okay. Masters thing. Go ahead. Bit. What I love about this is, although Thursday was great for me so far, and there's plenty about this week, and I know I don't check the Weather Channel often, but I refuse to check the Weather Channel in Augusta. during. The, I just like the variability that comes with it, because if there is a poor day, or weather-wise, it can really mess with this leaderboard, and I think uh, the variability in this, which might not be a word, but whatever it is, makes the Masters such an amazing event, and we'll, uh, I'm very excited for the rest of the weekend. Yeah, very exciting times. Um, we got NBA, a little bit of big news coming out of Boston Celtics camp. Kyrie Irving is going to miss the rest of the season with knee surgery. He looks to be out four to five months, and really, really puts a crack in my uh, NBA playoff watching, because the only thing I was really excited for was to see Cavs and Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals, but is there any way that Brad Stevens gets this done and kind of cements himself as the coach of the year, bringing the Celtics to the Eastern Conference Finals? If he does, I think he deserves it, but I don't think there's any chance with that team that they get to these finals. Maybe they might not even get out of the first round. They're not even playing very well recently, and their two best players obviously are gone now. So I think it's just setting up for LeBron to go to the finals again, which isn't anything new. I blow my nose in tissues that are harder than uh, than Kyrie Irving. I mean, it's ridiculous. This is a soft move. He, this coming out near the end of the season, he knew he couldn't beat LeBron. He knew LeBron was the best player of all time. And he knew that going up against without Gordon Hayward, this team wasn't going to be able to take him in seven games. Kyrie Irving, you, you left. Take what you did. Should have lost to him in the Eastern Conference Finals the way you were going to lose until you uh, bowed out of the rest of the season. Uh, I'm over Kyrie. I told you I was over Kyrie a long time ago. It's uh, it's a shame. He's a wonderful talent, but he is just so soft mentally and physically. And uh, you know what? It's LeBron's year. I think there's uh, there's an opening. I think this isn't the best Cavs team, but that makes it even more impressive that LeBron is able to give Cleveland one more hoorah before he comes out to La La Land with me. <laughs> before he comes out to La La Land, you heard it. That's a quote from Roz. On the Sporting Edge, and that is all the time we have here. If you miss a show, you know where to find us, libertytalk.fm, amfm247.com. We'll be back after the break with a little more talk on the NBA and got to break down the MLB season. We're about a week and a half in. A lot of good stuff going on and a lot of not-so-good stuff going on. Looking at you, Gabe Kapler. 
That's all the time we have here, everybody. We'll be back after the break. What's up, everybody? Bubba here. It's finally here. The long-awaited Bubba Report, bringing you news from all the trading floors across the globe. We've got Scott Chalady, the cow guy, as seen on CNBC, Fox, and Bloomberg. We've got Keith Bliss, CNBC, Fox, and a floor trader at the New York Stock Exchange. We've got the Badger, who writes the hot topics in the political news. We've got myself putting together my own unique indexes that will help you give you a better idea of what's going on in the market. All you need to do to get a hold of the Bubba Report is go to thebubbashow.org and sign up for the newsletter, or you can email me direct at bubba at thebubbashow.org. We want you to have this report because we've got over 150 years of experience talking about markets, getting ready for the trading, and puts you in the best position to have successful. So email me at bubba at thebubbashow.org to get a copy of your report or go right to the website, thebubbashow.org. Make sure you get it. It's a must-have for every investor and trader. The Bubba Report. What's up? What's up, everybody? We are back at the Sporting Edge, joined by our number one fan, Rube. Shouldn't go by Rube Roz and Wits. Um, and we, I forgot to mention there was a, a very major sporting event that went down this past week on Monday that I was gonna kind of just gloss over. Um, until Roz reminded me, NCAA basketball championship happened, and the Villanova Wildcats are your 2018 NCAA tournament champions. That makes it two in the last three years. Jay Wright, kind of cementing himself, I think, is one of the one of the upper echelon coaches in college basketball. Now that he gets that second title with Villanova, and you know, not a very good game. I have to, I have to be honest. Took Michigan plus the seven, and for the first ten minutes, looked like they could look like they could compete. Um, didn't end up working out. Dante Vincenzo, the Vincenzo, unbelievable. Um, what, what would your guys take on the on the season, the game, um, and the tournament in general? Um, for me, what it was is I picked the champion again, but obviously, did you win? Did you win any money in the bracket? Coming close yeah, is, is important in horseshoes and hand grenades. And so, unfortunately, I did not win any money in this bracket. But I did pick Villanova, who clearly just was the best team this entire tournament. I mean, you got all the upsets you wanted. You got the Cinderella's and Loyola. You got the UMBC. But when it came down to playing pure basketball, there was no better team in the country than Villanova. And that's a team that's interesting to me because I don't think they necessarily break up after this season. I know Jalen Brunson... Um, graduated a year early but he still has another year of eligibility so there is that option to come back he might go test the draft waters by not hiring an agent we'll see how that goes i know mikhail bridges is probably going to end up going but they're going to maintain DiVincenzo unless some agent is so good at selling that he gets him out of there into the nba draft and then pascal will probably be returning as well I like what Jay Wright's doing. I like that he shows that the one-and-done isn't necessarily the only route you need to go in college basketball. And it's just evident that it is dominant. I mean, they beat this Kansas team. They beat this Michigan team. And I'm not saying they're one-and-done teams, but I think they would have handled Duke if they got an opportunity to do that. I mean, this Villanova team is the most well-rounded team I've seen in a while. And, Jay, like you said, Jay Wright is now in the upper echelon of coaches. I mean, he's passed Jim Beheim in terms of titles. He's passed Tom Izzo in terms of titles. It's unbelievable to me that a coach can win twice in a three-year span. Congratulations to him. This Villanova Wildcats team is uh, definitely an upper echelon team. Yeah, I'm going to take it even a step further. This might be one of the best teams in college basketball that I've ever seen. 
they just had everything you could possibly want in a team. They had guard play. They had inside game. They share the ball. They have shooters. They rebound. They defend. They did everything. And they showed that they put that on full display throughout these NCAA tournaments. None of their games were even within 10 points. And I hope this starts to change the landscape, maybe of college basketball a little bit. See, in the last three years, not really one and done teams winning it off with Nova twice and then North Carolina last year. So I think this might start to change the landscape at least a little bit. Have coaches start second guessing about who they bring in and trying to get guys in for the long haul. But what a performance Villanova put on. There was no one even close to them in the field. And they put that on display, especially on Monday night against Michigan. Can I, can I ask Rube one question real quick, Sander? Um, yeah, you can. You're, you're one of the hosts of this show last time I checked. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, I, go wanted for to, it. I wanted to interject before you had your say and your words in it. So I like that idea that this is one of the best teams you've seen. This is one of the best teams I've seen. I'm assuming for Xander as well. So I was just thinking of teams. I mean, I think they would have gone through a UConn team. I think they, I mean, they obviously lost to, uh, they didn't lose to UNC. Anyways, my question is, what if they were to go up against that UNC team with Tyler Hansbrough? I think yeah. those, like that Tyler Hansbrough. I don't think of that team. I think of a team that beat Illinois with Sean May and, who else was on that team? Rashad McCants and Felton back in 2005. I think they were better than the Hansbrough Really? The Hansbrough yeah. team dominated that Michigan State team. And I was, like, they, them, to me, were like the highlight of a top number one seed. And I know yeah. they like came into that game, wasn't even close. I stopped watching that game at halftime. But I'm curious because in terms of having all the intangibles, that, that is what that UNC team reminds me of. And I think that would have been an excellent game. I know hypotheticals are hypotheticals, but like, you're right. Yeah. This Villanova team is up there to me now in my lifetime of teams that I think is the most impressive going through an NCAA tournament. Yeah, I think the shortlist for me is those two Carolina teams, more the 05 one in my opinion, and then obviously the Anthony Davis-Kentucky team. That one was just a bunch of freak athletes on the court, and they showed that too. But in terms of like a complete basketball team, this Villanova team ranks right up there, if not at the top for me, in teams that I've seen in my lifetime. Fair. Yeah, and yeah. you know, I kind of agree with your guys' point that, that maybe this does change the landscape a little bit because you look at tournament time. I mean, the teams the past few years, at least with more experience, have been doing better down the stretch. Um, I got to break down a little bit of the Final Four game between Loyola and Michigan. Um, Loyola, I thought, had that game, and then with about eight minutes left, they turned the ball over in five straight possessions, and that Cinderella story ended up losing the game by 12. Um, so kind of disappointing finish there, but I mean, one of the better stories or probably the story of the NCAA tournament besides Villanova just cruising past everybody. Um, and then, you know, where, where does this, where does this leave Michigan boys? Um, you know, had a, had a great, a great year, but um, are they going to, are they going to be back near the top next year? Or is this just kind of a thing like they had a couple of years ago where they made it to the ship and then kind of fall back and I don't want to say mediocrity, but um, they don't really get heard of again for the next couple of years. Yeah, I don't think they make it back. I mean, if you look at who they played in this tournament, they really didn't beat anyone. Like, if you look, I think they beat, what, they beat a 14 and then an 11, and then they, they didn't play like a one through four seed until the championship, I don't think. So, yeah, it was a good run to the championship, but they didn't really beat anyone along the way. So that doesn't give me any reason to believe they'll be back anytime soon. Unless they get what, lucky again, of course. What's interesting to me about this Michigan team is they're 
the next tier underneath Villanova and UNC in terms of they're not a big one-and-done program either, and that's why they are relevant, I think, every single year. You know what? They might not be a championship team, and I was the one to call them out that they weren't going to play uh, one through four seed until the finals. But this this Michigan team has proven itself, and it's a heartbreaker for uh, – I always forget his name, Bellini or Bellini or whatever it is. Beeline. Beeline. Which it is, I got – trust me. Beeline, we're good. I figured it out. And um, it's heartbreaking because there's another loss on his resume, and we know what that means when you lose championships. It well, he te- technically didn't season. lose the last championship because nobody won that one. That's true. <laughs> you just no results in the last one. That and we have we've had these arguments, so I know I know you're just playing devil's advocate there, but yeah. it is tough. He's lost it, and uh, I I think this is a Michigan team that keeps going. I don't know if Wagner's going to return. I would assume not. It's Wagner, just like Weisberg. Uh, we're, we're doing the V's. It's fine, Wagner. It's, it's a German thing, I guess. But uh, I like this Michigan team moving forward. I, again, I don't think they fall to mediocrity, but I think they continue to control a Big Ten that apparently is awful. I mean, they only Big have Ten is terrible. I didn't realize how bad they were. Um, Purdue, obviously losing their big man hurt them in this tournament, and Texas Tech really shoved it to me. But I think Purdue and Michigan are two teams that will continue to be at the top. And it's sad when you don't have like a Wisconsin or Michigan State really dominating. I mean, Tom Izzo, I think, lost his touch. That's another point I want to make about the Big Ten. I think his, his time is coming close to an end. He hasn't been able to get out of the first weekend of the tournament since, uh, since I can remember. So it'll be yeah. interesting to see. But Michigan, to me, is still a top team in the Big Ten, and that means they'll be able to continue to compete in these tournaments. Yeah, for Michigan State, this was their year to do it. If they were going to do it any year, two top ten picks probably on their team and a bunch of great guards, and they just blew it against a very mediocre Syracuse team who, how we've talked about before, just seems to get the best of people in the tournament. But very disappointing for Michigan State and a lot of the Big Ten as a whole outside of Michigan. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Big Ten was um, you know disappointing besides Michigan. And we kind of look a little preview into next year. I mean, I think was it Duke's got three of the top three of the top five three. recruits, is it the, or is it the top, top three? three? No, he literally they have three of the top three. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. It's um, ridiculous. Any any yeah, thoughts? But then again, we'll see if the one and dones work, or if it they bow out in the Sweet Sixteen or Elite Eight again. Right, and and kind of looking looking into next year. Um, do you guys any idea who's who's ranked at the top right now? I, I haven't looked yet, but I've I've got to assume Duke Duke is number one, Kansas is number two, Villanova is number three. Yeah, okay, which could change, but we'll see who Villanova brings back. We'll see Kansas should have most of their guys back, and it should be interesting. But now we got to wait a long six or seven months, whatever it is, till next college basketball game, which is and you're going to get a whole back. lot of whole lot of new next season. I mean, we've got Malik Newman leaving KU. We got Duvall just declaring to go to the draft. I mean, and this is what's becoming a problem, I think, for the NBA. Is These guys are coming out. I don't think they're ready. I don't think they're NBA ready. They become irrelevant on these teams. They play in the G League and probably never – it's tough to make it in the NBA. And I've said that over and over again. I think the toughest sport to make it in is the NBA. There's so few spots on a roster. There's so few opportunities to be the superstar of your team. I mean, it's tough. And I, you see all these kids go early. 
I know they want to make their money and everything, and they will. They'll make their couple million here and there, but their careers will end at a certain point, whether it's four years down the line or the year after because they can't get out of the G League. I just think it would be better to see more Villanova-esque teams. I mean, can you imagine some of these Dukes and Kentucky teams if they weren't all one and done? Yep, can definitely imagine that. Um, And in the meantime... That's all the time we have here for the Sporting Edge. Everybody, you missed the show, you know where to find us, libertytalk.fm, amfm247.com, and we will be back after the break. What's up, what's up, everybody? We are back at the Sporting Edge, and we saved the best sport for last, Major League Baseball. It's been a great first week and a half of the season a lot of good stuff going on. Um, first thing I want to touch on, guys, Gabe Kapler, the new man in town in Philadelphia, has had, to say, is a rough start. <laughs> that, that, that's basically how I'm going to put it. A um, couple big things that he's done so far, um, starting with the kind of the least important, sat out Odubel Herrera day one, um, which is kind of funny because he's, he's their three hitter. Um, supposed to hit three the majority of the season. But the two things I want to focus on, first of all, pulling Aaron Nola on opening day after 68 pitches, going to the bullpen with a 5 nothing lead, proceeding to blow the game. That was one thing. And then we had Gabe Kapler come out to the mound, make a pitching change, and there was nobody warming up in the pen. So analytics maybe taking a little bit of a step too far here um, with the Phillies. And on top of it all, Gabe Kapler gets booed by Phillies fans on their home opener um, after the national anthem. So interesting start, to say the least, for the Phillies. Um, you guys got any thoughts on what Gabe Kapler's doing with that team right now? Uh, I don't. My thoughts are just this is a young team that was very hopeful and looking to start turning the corner, a team that had a bunch of prospects. I mean, and I just don't think they have the guy handling it the right way. They don't have the right guy in charge, and, that happens sometimes, and it'll be an interesting thing to see. And he could be one of those storybook coaches who gets canned 20 games into the season, and they start from scratch again. So, I, yeah. I mean, Ruben might have more insight than that. Yeah, but that's I mean, what I'm saying. I don't know. We can give him a little bit of time. It's not the best way to start your career getting booed on your first home game. But, <laughs> I don't know, the Phillies are bad either way. It doesn't really matter. I don't think they're going to contend for a while. But, Xander, how about your New York Mets with a big start to the year? Are you uh, hopping on that bandwagon again? I already hopped on the bandwagon because I had I had to double down after last year. <laughs> um, th- this is what you get with a team that has you know some of the best starting pitching in baseball when healthy, and huge huge asterisks is when healthy because you look at last year, um, Noah Syndergaard one win the entire year. He was out the majority of the year. Matt Harvey. Um, kind of took a took a dive off the cliff the last few years but has pitched well as of late you got DeGrom um, who I think has always been solid major question mark still I think this year Steven Matz if he can put it together this Mets team is a scary team they're on top of the NL East right now five and one record Atlanta Braves playing some good baseball four and two but yeah I mean this Mets team I think we saw you know two years ago, three years ago, they're a team that can definitely compete. I mean, and they've got some guys in that lineup um, who can smash the ball, mainly Ioannis Espedes, um, who I think has already three or four homers. But they're playing some good baseball right now. And, Rube, I, ju- I just want to take a little look at the AL Central standing because my White Sox are 500 ahead of the Cleveland Indians right now, who are also tied with the Detroit Tigers, uh, both sitting at 2-4, and four, and the Twinkies leading the division. So, 
I think my my call at this division might be a little more competitive than people thought. I think right now it stands. It stands tall. Yeah. Well, yeah. Drew, before you before you rip them, can I just say that joins what will be a great segue into the way too early concerns. I mean, you got the Dodgers, Nationals, Cubs, and Indians all below five hundred. Let me just tell you. Are the Nationals not below? They, they just won today. Yeah. But um. The way too early concerns, which I have two more of, but Rube, I want you to get in on the AL Central conversation with Wits real quick. Yeah, I mean, it's six games in. There's nothing you can really tell at this point, but all I know is those are supposed to be three of the worst teams in baseball, and I don't see any reason why they won't be. They're all borderline AAA rosters trying to rebuild for the future. And, hey, we'll see. I mean, the Indians will win 90-something games and make the playoffs. And, I don't know, I think that's a pretty predictable division going forward. And which now I'm gonna, now I'm gonna throw my way too early for excitement moves right now. So leading the National League in home runs, Bryce Harper, who I said was going to be National League MVP. I know home runs are not the only indicator of that. But he's also leading in RBIs. Bryce Harper having a fantastic start to the season. I'm very excited to see where that leads, especially because he'll end up in Cubby Blue, and hopefully we'll put up those same numbers. And then two, do I need to be worried about the Cubs? I get a text from Dylan Wallace the other day. Shout out Dylan Wallace saying we have some of the worst starting pitching in the league. I know he's very quick to the draw, and he always has been about that. Um, tell me what's going on with the Cubs, Rube, or Wits. What's going on? Are we okay? We're we going to figure yeah. this stuff out. I know it's very early, and I don't want to panic, but I've been watching a lot of games and not seeing a lot of runs. Yeah. I mean, they did strike out the most times through five games ever, but I don't think there's any concern at this point. I mean, they're up 5 nothing tonight in a division game, and – you can't really say anything at this point. There is one thing, though, that I do want to touch on that I think is something that you can kind of take away early this season is David Price for the Boston Red Sox. Because I think that team kind of hinges on whether they can get him back to his old form or not. And so far, he's had two starts, hasn't allowed a run in 14 innings so far. And if he's a guy that he can be an ace up there with Chris Sale again this year, that's a team that even though everyone's talking about the Yankees and that AL East, I think if they have those two guys at their best, I think they're the team to beat in the AL Central and or in the AL East rather, <laughs> and they're a team that could give the Astros a run in the playoffs if they continue at that pace. Yeah, I think they definitely could. I mean, David Price has always been a guy who's been one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball um, while he's been up. Last year was a rough one, but if he's healthy, obviously you know what Chris Sale can do. <laughs> Um, Rick Porcello, one year removed from the AL Cy Young, so you know that he can get it done. The thing I, I worry a little bit about the back end of this rotation, I mean, I know Drew Pomerantz and Eduardo Rodriguez are hurt right now, but I mean, I look at the Astros, they're just such a complete team. Um, when you look at their starting rotation, guys like guys like Charlie Morton being your, your fourth or fifth starter, Lance McCullers, and then you got you got your top three of Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander and Dallas Keuchel. One thing I do worry about with the Houston Astros is their bullpen a little bit. I think, um, I wouldn't call it a weak bullpen, but I'd say about average. Don't have a solidified closer, in my opinion. Um, and I think that's I think that's where the Yankees really separate themselves. Man, I know you got, you got Craig Kimbrell in Boston, but the Yankees, I honestly believe, have, have three or four guys who could be legitimate closers on any team, guys who were throwing in the high 90s with dirty off-speed pitches. So, Rube, I agree with your point. Um, I think Boston is a scary team if they can put it together. But I think we'll see Boston and New York 
um, the Yankees in the playoffs this year. Um, I think Houston makes it again, but this should be pretty interesting. Um, I think the AL East is, is going to be a tough division. I, I think Toronto, um, sitting at four and three right now, obviously haven't had nearly as much noise about him as the Yankees and Red Sox. And then you look at Baltimore is at a really bad start at one and five, but you got a guy headlighting that rotation and Dylan Bundy, who is, I don't think has given up a run yet. Maybe he's given up one, but I think that'll be a pretty tough division. Um, and then another a major breakout star who had a horrible spring training, Shohei Otani, a great first start on the mound. Um, you take back that one hanging curveball for a three-run homer. It really looked good. I mean, had some heat in the high 90s, has gone deep twice. Um, once off Kluber. Once off yeah. Kluber. So, I mean, that argument of letting the guy hit and pitch um, – he, he's he's making it tough for the Angels because I, I don't think they can they can't take him out of the lineup and he's obviously going to be a front line starter for them. Um, what do you guys think about Shohei Otani so far? Uh, he, he was somebody I didn't want to focus on because I thought there was still AAA elements to him. They said he wasn't super ready for Major League Baseball, but maybe it was a tough spring training to get acclimated and everything. So he's clearly proven me wrong. He's somebody to watch. I'm sure or Mike Trout loves having a guy like that on his team, somebody else to produce. I mean, it's it's uh, it's definitely interesting. Interesting. And, Rube, yeah. we've got about 20 seconds left. Give me your final take, and then we'll close out the show for the week. Um, well, I just hope the weather starts to turn here so we can uh, actually see some games that look like they should be played outside instead of this cold and rainy days that we've been watching. But now that college basketball is over, baseball's back, and I'm excited for the season. Yep, we got an exciting season coming up. We're in the full swing with the Masters. We got the rest of the majors coming up in the summer. So we got full slate of MLB, um, and we'll occasionally keep you in the loop with some NFL talk, but that's on the back burner right now. Thanks for coming on the show this week, Rube. Good to have you, as always. No and this is the Sporting Edge, everybody. If you miss the show, you know where to find us, libertytalk.fm, amfm247.com. We will be back next week with a breakdown of the Masters and more MLB coverage. Stay tuned, everybody. Revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm.